champ pierre il se passe par chaud Oh c'est pas un cas quand le champ pierre Le tunini de champ pierre il se passe par chaud Et champ pierre il t'en Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Pastor Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. So anything that's on your mind, please just let me know. Shoot me whatever, whatever you want to say um, as we're going live on the Twitter stream as well as Facebook Live. Um, podcast is also available on Apple Music, on Spotify, on Amazon Music, and on YouTube. Uh, we're going to do a little MLB team preview today, and I want to divulge a little bit into some of the bad contracts in the National Basketball Association, and I'll preview it a little bit now. Uh, it's not a matter of you know knocking players in a particular sport for how much they're making, but it's how those contracts become an albatross over the course of time. Now, you know, there's things that could happen. It, you know, you think of the old uh, Gilbert Arenas, uh, you know, exemption, which basically gave a team amnesty to get rid of a, a player or a bad contract or make up for a mistake that they made over the course of time. And you obviously have contracts that are spread over the course of, you know, other, you know, years, you know, four or five years of a bad contract spread out. And then you got teams that just cut B with them whatsoever. And then they just have them on their cap for a long period of time. But the first thing we're going to do today is we're going to preview a little bit of baseball. And I spent some time, as always, I didn't go as far as I normally do when it comes to the exact records and making sure the amount of games, you know, wins equal the amount of losses over the course of the season, which I will do between now and next week while I'll be down in Florida uh, watching some spring training baseball. So a couple of my biggest surprises that I have this year. It's, it's kind of hard to, like you think of an off season where the cream usually rises to the top. And if you go back, and this is now my 11th year of doing predictions when it comes to, to, to baseball. And I kind of have a pattern. And if you if you noticed over time, there's certain teams that I don't, I don't believe a ton in. And traditionally, I'm not that high on, and the same thing will apply for the season. You know, I think of teams like the Yankees, teams like the Dodgers. They're going to be fine. Now, is there doubt? Of course there is. There, there's there's going to be some unbelievable, you know, reasonable doubt over whether the Yankees starting pitching is going to hold up. I think that's reasonable to, to knock if you're if you're down on on the you know what to expect for the Yankees this year, and that kind of does bother me a little bit because you know the Yankees went out there and they paid a ton of money for Garrett Cole last year, and maybe and this may be uh, a, a decent talking point may have been better suited to spread a couple really good starters and maybe have four really good starters instead of paying Garrett Cole what Garrett Cole is getting paid. And, you know, the problem with that is we always think of the Yankees being the Yankees and money is never going to get in the way of the New York Yankees being able to build themselves a quality team. If you follow this offseason, you know that there's something kind of different about the way the New York Yankees are operating themselves. 
And, you know, they are looking as if the sport has a salary cap, as if there is a limit on the amount of money that they're going to be able to commit to their players. I mean, they went out there and they spent for Garrett Cole like he was the missing piece. And I understand you're talking about a truncated season last year, so many different variables which were different over the course of one Major League Baseball season than for others. And, you know, I'll get back to the Yankees in a second. I just want to adjust the camera. Just give me one sec. And, of course, as long as that doesn't fall down, we'll be okay. Once again, the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So you think about a team like the Yankees that have the ability, at least on paper, to outspend anybody, and they, they haven't done that this year. You look at some of the deals that they've agreed to with players like Justin Wilson and Brett Gardner and, you know, even Darren O'Day. You know, they, they moved the contract in Adam Adovino to a different team just basically to save themselves some money. So you know that the, the financial situation with the pandemic and everything that happened last year is hitting hard, and it's hitting hard with everybody. And you look at the Yankees, but I, I, I look at that division, and you think about the American League East, it's hard to make a case that there's another team in that division that is better than the Yankees. And if you're going to make a prediction on that division, it's going to be hard to claim a team's going to win that's not named the Yankees. So I got the Yankees winning that division without a doubt. You also got the Blue Jays. You got the Red Sox. We have the Rays and the Orioles. And that's going to be the order in which we're going to go in here. And I will get on the Rays in a little bit, but I think the Toronto Blue Jays have to be a team on a on the rise for a reason. And uh, Rob throws a comment in there, and I do want to thank you for your contribution. Um, they spent for DJ. Nobody makes a big deal over this because it's not a shiny new toy. Uh, here, here's what I got on LeMahieu because I've mentioned this before on on the podcast. You know, DJ LeMahieu signed a contract that was most beneficial for the Yankees. DJ LeMahieu, as a free agent, could have gotten $20, $25 million, and he didn't. He got a contract that's spread out over the course of six years, going to pay him $90 million, and that's a great move for the Yankees. The Yankees are a better team with DJ LeMahieu as opposed to not having DJ LeMahieu. That being said, he signed at the exact terms of what the Yankees were looking to do. They said, hey, this is the amount of money we are going to allocate to you. Where Brian Cashman is going to push the Yankee brand, and he's done that several times. Hey, you know it's better playing for the Yankees than to play for somebody else. So I'm I'm not real. I don't look at at DJ and say, oh, that's a great job bringing him in. Yes, the Yankees did well from their perspective, from a front office front office perspective. We're talking about 15 million over six years when he could have clearly gotten a lot more. The Blue Jays offered over $20 million. And there's an actual report out there that says the Blue Jays, before they signed George Springer, would have paid DJ LeMahieu in the excess of $20 million a season. Now, it might not have been a six-year, $150 million deal that George Springer got, but it was going to be over $20 million, maybe over four years, maybe over five years, something like that. Now, the Yankees did put their foot down, and similar to the way they've, they've handled with a lot of other players over years, you know, even Derek Jeter, you know, Derek Jeter's last couple of years with the Yankees, his last contract was exactly what the Yankees wanted to pay as opposed to what Derek Jeter could have gotten on the open market. But 
you know, to think about the Yankees. There's no, there's no reason to not expect the Yankees to win their division. They're going to be fine. Um, as a trading deadline gets closer, they're going to make whatever adjustments they need to. The key with them behind Garrett Cole is going to be what they get out of Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyon. Uh, you're looking at real at, at potential star type of starting pitchers. Though Kluber, the two-time Cy Young Award winner, is coming off of a season where he was injured. He pitched just one inning. And obviously, Tyon has not pitched very much over the course of the last couple of years. If they can give them some depth in that rotation, then all of a sudden you look at this Yankee team and we're talking about uh, the possibility of them being the best team in the American League. I don't think they're going to have a problem winning the division this year because I think Tampa Bay is going to be down. You tell me that you take away Blake Snell and you take away Charlie Morton and you replace them with Chris Archer and Michael Waka and they're going to get the same results out of them? I don't think so. And, you know, you, you talk about how the Rays have a great system. And they do. They have a very good system where they work players in and they seem to get the most out of them. But you tell me, you look at Pete Fairbanks, you look at Nick Anderson. Those are pitchers that were a little bit more overused than they were in other seasons. And I think this is a situation where you're looking at a team that, yes, everything clicked right last year. They won the American League East. They were the best team in the American League. And you know what? Maybe a break or two in the World Series, and they, they could have gone out there and won a World Series. But this year is going to be much different. Relievers are fickle. I can't expect Nick Anderson and Pete Fairbanks to strike out every single batter that they faced like they did last year. Remember, they got to do it over the course of a longer sample size. We're expecting 162 games. Maybe there's a little bit less you know, maybe play 150, maybe play 155 games. We never know what's going to happen between now and, let's say, the 1st of October. But I, I look at the Rays, and I don't think that their system is built over the course of 162 games. So I look at Toronto. They went out there and they got Springer. They've upgraded their rotation. They added Kirby Yates. They got Marcus Simeon. They have, they have a ton of additions to a team that was pretty good last year. Remember, you know, Vlad Jr., one of the rising stars in the game, he's dropped, what, 30, 40 pounds? I think the Blue Jays are going to be better. To me, they're the second best team in that division. A team that I think is going to surprise some people in the American League East is going to be the Boston Red Sox. I look at a, a team that really didn't make any flashy moves this offseason. You know, you think of Enrique Hernandez, you think of Garrett Richards. But I think this is a team that can battle the Yankees. I think they could win some games against them. They're certainly going to beat up on the Orioles. And I think the Rays are down. And the Rays, who won, you know, over 60% of their games last year, if they're not doing that, that's going to come at the expense of another team. Another team's going to pick up some of those wins. And I can see some of those wins going to the Yankees, some of those wins going to Toronto, and some of those wins going to Boston. So I got Boston as the third place team in this division around 500, maybe 82 and 80, maybe 81 and 81. You know, when I tally up all the games and give a win for a win and a loss for a loss for every team, I'll give you a record by the time I do my next show next Thursday. But Red Sox, I think you're going to be better. You know, you look at Raphael Devers, who's a star. I think Xander Bogarts, um, Alex Verdugo. I think they could benefit from bringing back Jackie Bradley Jr. if they decided to sign him as a free agent. 
Uh, Andrew Benatendi, the trade to the Royals, they got, you know, a couple younger players. That kind of was a salary dump. Maybe it creates an opportunity for somebody else. But I think the key with the Red Sox is this. J.D. Martinez hit, what, 213 last year? If they get J.D. Martinez when he was closer to that MVP type of season he had in 20, was it 2018? Then I think this team it can click it to a different level. All of a sudden, you look at a lineup with Martinez, with Devers, with Bogarts, Alex Verdugo. They're, they're going to be scoring a little more runs. I think one of the keys for them will be J.D. Martinez, and I think he's far from a short thing. That's why I got the Red Sox in third place in that division. But once again, this may sound like I'm sitting here piling on the Tampa Bay Rays, and maybe I am. Maybe I just don't like their system. Maybe I don't believe that you can plug any player. You can't take John Pielli off of this seat right here, play him at shortstop for the Tampa Bay Rays, and expect to get a certain performance. The Rays have done the best they could with what they, they have. They don't have the financial resources to be able to even extend their own players. And the ones that they do, they eventually trade. So if, I, if you sign an extension with the Tampa Bay Rays, you know within the next couple of years before you start to make a lot of money because you know the contract's going to be backloaded, you're going to be traded. Ask Chris Archer. Ask Blake Snell. Ask anybody. Ask Evan Longoria. He's supposed to be the face of that franchise. He was supposed to mean to the Tampa Bay Rays what Mickey Mantle meant to the New York Yankees, what David Wright meant to the New York Mets, what Mike Schmidt meant to the Philadelphia Phillies. And if you see the common thing there, a player to start and finish his career in the same city, wearing the same uniform with the same team. And that never happened. That was promised to Evan Longoria, I bet. But he ends up getting traded to the Giants. The Rays have no loyalty towards their own players. And, and they don't believe in continuity. Now, they may believe in, uh, you know, having a cohesion within the players that they have. And that worked for them last year. But now some players are out and some players are in. Is it a guarantee that the new players that come in, the Michael Wackas replacing Charlie Morton? Yeah, you look at Chris Archer. Yes, he's back. He hasn't been there in about three, four years. Which, by the way, how did that, how did that trade work out for the Pittsburgh Pirates? They trade Austin Meadows. They trade Tyler Glass now to Tampa Bay. And a couple years later, Chris Archer's playing for the race. I, I don't like this race team. I think that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of teams, not only in the American League East, but in the American League, that I think are going to be able to beat them. And yes, bullpens are important, as I will talk about as we get to the National League. But you can't expect the same relievers to go out there and dominate like they did last year. One of the strengths of the Tampa Bay Rays last year was their relievers dominating. And I can't expect them to go out there and do that this year. So the Orioles, yeah, they're going to be a last place team. I don't have any issue with predicting the Orioles to be in last place. I think there's some optimism when it comes to some of the younger players being developed. I really do believe that. You know, you look at uh, Adley, you know, the guy, the guy, uh, Roachman is going to be the catcher. They got some other good young prospects that are going to be infiltrating their major league roster soon. It just doesn't look good for the Orioles. So I think you're looking at uh, potentially another 95 to 100 loss season for the Orioles, maybe. 
if I'm an Orioles fan, you think optimism, you start to think in a 2022 and start to think of some of the young players that you're going to be building your franchise around. American League Central. I got White Sox, Twins, Indians, Royals, Tigers. And I'm not going to get too much into it because I think this kind of speaks for itself. The aggressive nature of the Chicago White Sox, adding Lance Lynn, you know, to Lucas Giolito, to Gallup Dallas Keuchel, going out there getting a big closer in Liam Hendricks. The young offensive players they got in Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson. By the way, there, there's no more underrated player in Major League Baseball than Tim Anderson. The guy's going to go out there and hit 320. He's going to hit a bunch of home runs. Yeah, he's going to pimp it a little bit. He's going to hot dog it around the bases. He's going to fling that bat maybe into the dugout after he hits a big home run. None of that's going to get in the way of the White Sox succeeding. And another reason, and I'm on the White Sox bandwagon, I'll tell you this. Cancel culture. Cancel culture wanted to get rid of Tony La Russa before he came back and managed the White Sox. Now, granted, he's 76 years old. He's going to have to face that adversity. The guy's been out of the game for the better part of a decade. The last time he managed in a major league baseball dugout was with the St. Louis Cardinals when they won the World Series in 2011. So Tony La Russa, the last time he stepped foot in the dugout as a major league manager in an actual game was a clinching game of the World Series in 2011 when the Cardinals beat the Rangers in seven games. People are rooting against Tony La Russa. I want to see him succeed. I want to see him succeed basically because there's so much ridicule and negativity towards Tony Larissa. I want to see him lead the White Sox to a World Series championship. Is this a team that's good enough to, to win the World Series? Yeah. And I think they're going to have the resources as the season goes on to be able to make those additional moves that they need. White Sox, I think, are going to have a problem winning this division. I look at the Twins. Yeah, they got some depth. Bringing back Nelson Cruz was huge for them. You think of their offense, they're going to hit a ton of home runs with Donaldson. And, uh, you know, Sano is going to be good. They are going to miss Eddie Rosario a little bit, but they get Byron Buxton healthy, ready to play a full center field, you know, full year center field. And I think this is going to be the emergence of Byron Buxton. If Byron Buxton can stay healthy, I think he can become one of the better all-around center fielders in Major League Baseball. I don't have a problem with the Twins. I think their starting rotation, yes, as you get a little deeper into it, is a little weak. But they they made assurances by adding multiple pieces. So you got a series of veteran pitchers that could help out as opposed to, you know, leaving fifth starter responsibilities. And there goes the phone. <laughs> so this has actually been fun. As we obviously are experimenting with Twitter Live for the first time, and you're seeing all the different silly things that can happen with a certain camera, bam, getting destroyed. It's all good. But we're back talking MLB team previews. Um, not much I could really say about the American League Central. You look at the Indians, they traded Lindor, they traded Carrasco. They still have Shane Bieber, they still have Zach Plesak. They still have some very good young players. So, you know, those that were saying, hey, the Indians are going to take a dump and all of a sudden be a last place team. Well, they're not thinking about the Royals. They're not thinking about the Tigers. The one thing I want to throw in there about the Royals is this. And I got got to add, they could surprise a couple people. 
you know, I look at the the entirety of this team. I don't think it's awful. I think from an offensive standpoint, the ability to score runs, I think they may surprise some people. They're not as good as the White Sox. We know that. They're not in the same category or league as the Twins. Nobody's trying to say that. But, hey, if they won 75 games this year, I don't think it would be that much of a surprise. might surprise some people that haven't really studied the offseason and the roster of the Royals. Ben Intendi was a big move for them. I think this is a player that you talk about a change of scenery. You're talking about somebody that's in a spot where they go to a different city and they thrive and become a star. I think that very well could happen for the Royals. You can think about the rest of the season and think of 2021 as the year that Andrew Benintendi became a star. There's a lot of Red Sox fans that believed that Benintendi was going to be a bigger name than he ended up being for the Red Sox. He was a good player played some defense, hit the ball well, hit for some power, hit for some average, but never became a absolute star. And I think that's something that has to be looked at when you look at a player. Sometimes it's a, a different change of scenery. How about Ben Attendee in Kansas City where he is the guy? There isn't anybody else there that's really going to get in the way of Andrew Ben Attendee being maybe the star of the team. Maybe he takes that. Carl Santana playing first base probably one of the more fundamentally sound players at the plate is not going to swing at a ball. He's going to walk a hundred times every year. You hope he can hit for enough of an average to, to really see what he, what, what he's able to do. But you got a guy with a high on base percentage, a high slugging percentage, you know, kind of slide him somewhere between two and five or six of this lineup. I'm not saying the Royals are going to go out there and be a playoff team, but I think they may be a little bit of a challenge to the Indians for third place in that division. And I look at the Tigers, and I think of them the same way that I think of the Baltimore Orioles. I, 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 don't, I don't hate the Tigers. I like their drafts. I like them, you know, drafting Casey Mize. I like some of the other young players that they brought in. There's still another full year away. And A.J. Hinch gets a chance to manage again. He's another guy that I'm rooting for. I know a lot of people don't like to root for, uh, you know, people that are associated with controversy. But I want to see A.J. Hinch land on his feet. He was unceremoniously fired as the manager of the Houston Astros. Yes, he knew about what was going on with the sign stealing and the manipulation of the cameras and the whole thing. But was it something that he approved of? Did he have the power to be able to stand up against it and say, listen, I'm not going to accept this. I told you about the role of the Major League Baseball manager changing for years, and it has you got a guy that just simply writes a lineup card, but it isn't even his own lineup. The guy sits there, and his job is to have the pulse of the clubhouse. His job is to be the guidance counselor, per se. Make sure everybody's feeling good about coming to work every day. Did A.J. Hinch have the power as the manager of the Houston Astros to do anything about the manipulation of the cameras? You know that he broke at least one camera. He didn't have the power within that team. That power came through the front office, was led by Jeff now and everybody that was part of that staff. So the issue that I have with A.J. Hinch is I'm not bastardizing this guy. I'm not taking this guy and saying that he should be kicked to the curb with the right to never work again. I'd like to see him have success with the Tigers. Unfortunately, it's going to be a little bit of time. Unfortunately, you're looking at the Detroit Tigers as a little more of a couple years away 
They're, they're not going to be out there doing anything. They're not going to win the division in the American League Central in 2021. So you go over to the West, and I'm going to throw this one out there because I think this is a, a, an interesting division because I think a lot of different things can happen here. I look at the top four teams in this division, and there's one team I think is going to be bad. And if we're thinking about a team that may challenge for having a worse record in baseball this year, I'm going with the Texas Rangers. I think this is a team that, yes, they added Chris Davis, but they are looking to rebuild. You look at Joey Gallo, who I think can have 40, 50 home run type of power. There's a team that traded Lance Lynn. They made a move last year to get Corey Kluber. They got one inning out of him. They, they haven't replaced that depth in a rotation. They don't have much of a bullpen. They don't have much when it comes to offense. This is going to be a bad baseball team. But the other four teams, I think, can all compete for a playoff spot. Now, it depends. Are we getting two wild cards, three wild cards, four wild cards? I'm going with the impression that we're getting two wild cards this year because that's what we're getting right now. Everybody says there's going to be a designated hitter in the National League. I'll believe it when it actually happens. It hasn't happened yet. So we have to act as if there's not going to be a designated hitter in the National League. So we're acting as if there's going to be two wild card teams in each league. Three division winners, two, two wild card teams, a total of five playoff teams for each league. I'm going with the Angels to win this division. And it's like ripping a Band-Aid off saying, hey, not, not Athletics, not Astros. I'm going with the Angels. And a lot of people say that the Angels are the, that example of the the go for it and underachieve. And that's basically been their mantra for the last, what, decade or so. How many years of Mike Trout's prime are going to be wasted by this organization? They went out there and they paid big money for Anthony Rendon. Now, was Trevor Bauer the ultimate fit for the Angels? Maybe. But they've gone out there and they've made some good moves in regards to, to pitchers. You know, uh, what is, what's his name? Brazil Iglesias pitching the ninth inning and the eighth and ninth inning is going to be a big deal for them. You know, I think of Jose Quintana, former Cub, he's going to help them. Alex Cobb, who very quietly for the Orioles, even though he's making an awful lot of money, had a good season for Baltimore last year. So they have some depth. They have Dylan Bundy. And I think they're going to hit. You know, this is a team with Trout. You know, Joe Adele maybe comes up and uh, contributes at the major league level. Veterans like Pujols and Justin Upton that, you know, may be able to hold the foundation of that clubhouse together. I think this is a good year to pick the Los Angeles Angels. Rendon's on that team. He's won a World Series before. Give me the Angels to win the American League West. And I'll go Astros, Mariners, Athletics. Now, here's my issue with the Athletics. The Athletics are the kings of dumpster diving. And that's what they did. They freed themselves up some money with the trade of Chris Davis and went out there and got a bunch of lower-level free agents. They signed Mitch Moreland, Sergio Romo, Jed Lowry to a minor league contract, which, by the way, Jed Lowry is going to go out there and play. He's going to play, let's say we play 162 games, he's going to play 150 this year because that's Jed Lowry. Jed Lowry, for whatever reason, was never meant to play baseball for the New York Mets. He's going to go back to Oakland, and he's going to be all right. Elvis Andrews is going to play a good shortstop for them. I think the Mariners are going to improve. You know, you look at Evan White, Kyle Lewis, perhaps Jared Kelenic, Rodriguez. Yeah, their pitching is okay. 
I don't think the Mariners are going to make the playoffs this year, but I think they're going to surprise some people. I think they could push to maybe get 75, 80 wins. The Astros are going to be the most interesting team in that division for this reason. I think this is kind of a last hurrah type of situation with them. Carlos Correa is going to be a free agent. I think they're going to try to extend him. I don't think it's going to work out. I think he's going to hit free agency, and once he hits free agency, he's going to be too far priced for what the Astros are looking to do. Justin Verlander being out for this season with Tommy John surgery is certainly going to hurt them. You know, you think of Lance McCullers, you think of Framber Valdez, and I, I don't believe there's enough depth in that rotation. Yes, Zach Greinke's there, and Zach Greinke's going to quietly do the things that Zach Greinke does. From an offensive standpoint, you think of Alvarez, you think of Bregman, you think of Altuve. George Springer's not there anymore. Michael Brantley came back, which was a big move for them. So you're looking at all, all these different things. I think they got a push in them. They got a second-place type of team. That being said, I don't I don't think they're going to go out there and win this division. Are they going to make the playoffs? Maybe. Is Toronto better than them? Is Minnesota better than them? You know, if, if Toronto or Minnesota is, is Boston? Cleveland isn't, right? I think there's enough intrigue to look at it. So what we're going to do is next week we'll, we'll preview the uh, National League. But I'll throw a little quick teaser of where I'm going with this. NL East, I got Braves, Nats, Mets, Phillies, Marlins. Then the Central, I got Cardinals, Brewers. And then I'm going Reds, Cubs, Pirates. And then in the West, Dodgers, Padres, Giants, Diamondbacks, Rockies. We'll talk a little more about that next week. What I did want to get into before the day is over, and we've already jumped off of this version of the past ball show as three different times in the middle of the show I've gotten up and gone. So last thing I wanted to talk about, you think of salaries as they exist throughout professional sports. And what ends up happening is you talk about players that get paid for what they did before. Robinson Cano is a great example of this. You talk about a player that had a Hall of Fame type of career throughout his time with the New York Yankees. You look at his numbers, they were right up there where Roberto Alomar did. They're right up there, not quite Rogers Hornsby, but they're right up there with any of the great second basemen that ever played in Major League Baseball history. They were better than Ryan Sandberg, who was in the Hall of Fame. He gets paid 10 years, $240 million, not because of what he's going to do over the course of the next 10 years. It's basically because of what he's done before. So when you've got a player like that, a player that has been the best, one of the best players in the sport, I look at Albert Pujols, there was no better player in Major League Baseball than Albert Pujols. He went out there, he signed that 10-year deal with the Los Angeles Angels, and obviously he hasn't made do. He hasn't been worth what he's gotten paid over the course of the last 10 years. And Albert Pujols made news with his announcement that he's going to retire after the season. So I think of the big contracts in Major League Baseball, the big contracts in the NFL, and I understand that you're paying players for what they've done before. J.J. Watt may get a multi-tire deal. Odds are he's going to get paid for what he's done in the past if he gets let's say, a three- or four-year contract. Obviously, obviously, on a one-year deal, $15, 16000000 that's going to be a bargain. 
So I think of one of the things that have been a weakness in the National Basketball Association. And I will preface this by saying, I got no issue with anybody getting paid. I have no problem with anybody collecting as much money as you could possibly make in any sport. But the NBA, because you're talking about less players, less players that are on a roster in Major League Baseball, certainly less players that are on you know, an NFL team over the course of however many players are getting paid through a season. There's more money to spread around in the NBA. And sometimes it gets spread around to the wrong people. And you look at, let's say, an example of somebody that could potentially be an albatross in regards to their contract. I think of Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker getting a big money with the Boston Celtics, expected to be that type of glue player to be teamed with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and they're going to go out there and win an NBA championship. Well, that hasn't worked out. The short-term prospects of the Kemba Walker deal have not been very good. I think of Otto Porter getting paid $28.5 million by the Chicago Bulls. He's not that type of player. Nicholas Batum was getting $27.1 million for the Charlotte Hornets. That was such a bad contract that they outright released them. He's getting, what, the veterans minimum for the Los Angeles Clippers right now? Kevin Love. I kind of take him off this list for this reason. Kevin Love was a star. Kevin Love was one of the best players in the NBA for a short period of time. And what has gotten in the way of Kevin Love having any success in the National Basketball Association right now is the fact that he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He hasn't been on the court. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave out Kevin Love. But his teammate Andre Drummond, $28.8 million. In fact, a tremendous cap hit for any team. So much that the Detroit Pistons worked it into a deal where they traded him to a Cleveland team that didn't even need him. Blake Griffin, another example of a Kevin Love type was one of the best players in basketball, was one of the better young stars in the game when he was drafted by the Los Angeles Clippers. Al Horford, we talked about that big contract that he just signed. $27.9 million getting paid from OKC. That's an awful lot of money. Steven Adams is the highest paid player on the New, on the New Orleans Pelicans team. Now, listen, they got Ingram, who's going to almost make as much as Adams. Zion Williamson, who you know when it's time for him to get that max extension, he's going to be one of the highest paid players in the entire league. But you look at Al Horford, the New Orleans Pelicans don't go around Al Horford. He's not the player that's going to take them to the playoffs or impact what kind of seating they're going to have. Then I look at LaMarcus Aldridge with the San Antonio Spurs. Who would have thought he would be the highest paid player by a mile on that team? He's certainly not their best player. He's certainly not in the main part of their rotation. Maybe he's a tertiary piece. Maybe he's a fourth or fifth best player on that team. But the problem with the NBA is there's so few players that are filling up a salary cap that there's going to be more mistakes that are made. There's going to be more teams that are going to spend a way ridiculous amount of money on a player that doesn't necessarily deserve it. And then you got the Otto Porters making $28.5 million. You got the Steven Adams, who Steven Adams is probably a better player than I'm giving him credit for, but certainly isn't worth $27 million a season for a New Orleans team that 
is basically Zion and Brandon Ingram's team. Steven Adams isn't that player that's going to be the star player. Nobody in New Orleans, as a Pelicans fan, is buying a Steven Adams jersey. They're buying a Zion jersey. They're buying a Brandon Ingram jersey. And you know what? If they're going to buy a third jersey, if they're a diehard of a New Orleans Pelicans fan, they're probably going to buy a Lonzo Ball jersey before they grab one that says Steven Adams on it. You think of some other players... Christoph's Porzingis makes almost $30 million. You're looking at a player that has had a hard time staying healthy. He's had a hard time staying on the court. And obviously, as it's been proven with Dallas this year, when he's been on the court, he's been pretty good. So maybe you could get a healthy Porzingis over the course of one full season and maybe get back the investment that he's up there making almost $30 million. Then you got Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert playing for Utah. They're not Donovan Mitchell. They're not Bojanovic. They're not the top two players. Yeah, they'll score somewhere in the teens per game, 16, 14 points a game. Are they worth 34 and 26 million respectively? Probably not. But once again, the NBA and its system is set to reward players that may not necessarily be worth the amount that they're making. And once again, this isn't about trying to knock how much anybody's going to get paid in the sport. I have no problem with anybody getting big money. I'm not a, I don't have any issue with any player getting whatever they possibly can, especially when the salary cap does allow for it. Problem I have is you talk about the NBA trading day deadline and the same player getting traded five times because they're just trying to offset his salary somewhere. The salary cap and the amount of money that not good players are making. And I don't mind stars getting paid that. I don't mind each team's top two or three players make it up in the high 20s or 30 or 40 million a year. But when you're talking about filler, and that's what the salary cap is set up. You know, there there was a time where you look at a Nicholas Batum and his $27.1 million as a filler to fill up somebody's salary cap and that team not getting anything for it. That's kind of what I have an issue with. This is the Passball Show. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back with you next Thursday. I'll be down in Florida. We're going to be in West Palm Beach, Port St. Lucie, Jupiter. Catch a little uh, spring training baseball. We'll see some Mets. We'll see, I think, Cardinals, Nationals, and I think Astros. But uh, We'll be back here Thursday to talk about it. Uh, thank everybody for tuning in. Once again, you can follow the show. Uh, Passball Show is available on Spotify, on Apple Music, on Amazon Music, as well as YouTube. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter at John underscore Pielli. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.